All right? So Matthew chapter 16, we'll pick it up in verse number 13. It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for what we just read. Lord, we do thank you for the church. We thank you for this church and how you've blessed over the years. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what you have to say here regarding the church. I pray, Lord, that we would live our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I've mentioned, today is our 72nd anniversary as a church. God has been so good to allow us 72 years of ministry here in Moore, Oklahoma. Now, it's healthy during anniversaries to go back to how it all began. My wife and I like to do this when we get to our wedding anniversaries. We like to think back to how it all began, how the Lord brought us together. We think through our dating days and those googly eyes that we made at one another. Uh, we like to think of our wedding day and, and uh, the stressful day that it was because it was an 11 o'clock in the morning wedding because I wanted to hurry up with the uh, wedding and get on to the honeymoon. And so we, we, we talk about all of those things and um, it, it's good to do that once in a while when you get to an anniversary to, to look back and see how it all began. It's good to remember what God has done in our lives. The psalmist said in Psalm 77 and verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. And so this morning I'd like to look back and learn how we got to this moment as a church. Our church began 72 years ago in 1947. And so let's start with what life looked like way back in 1947. In 1947, we were two years removed from World War II. Remember, World War II ended in 1945, and two years later was, of course, 1947. Harry S. Truman was the president of the United States in 1947. In 1947, the average cost of a new house was $6,600. Oh, to go back to those days. <laughs> The average wages per year, though, was only $2,850. But the average cost of a gallon of gas was only 15 cents. And I drove by and paid, I think, two forty-five the other day. The average cost of a brand new car was $1,300. A loaf of bread cost 13 cents, and a United States postage stamp cost only three pennies. 
back in 1947. It was in 1947 that the CIA was established. Joseph Stalin was in power in the Soviet Union, and Truman's famous speech outlining the Truman Doctrine was given in this particular year, 1947, to mark the beginning of the Cold War. It was in 1947 that the United Nations voted in favor of the creation of an independent Jewish state of Israel, and they would go on to declare independence the following year on May 14, 1948. It was in 1947 that Chuck Yeager, a United States Air Force captain and World War II veteran, becomes the first person to break the sound barrier and go Mach 1. 1947, October 14th. In 1947, the transistor was invented. And more importantly to all of us, in 1947, Walter Morrison invented the Frisbee. (laughs) Aren't you glad that he did that? Some notable people that were born in 1947 include Hillary Rodham Clinton, Tom Clancy, Steve Forbes, Elton John, David Letterman, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and O.J. Simpson, among others. 1947 was quite a year in our nation's history, and it was quite a year in our church's history as well. You see, it was in this year that a godly Christian widow lady who had a burden and desire for a Bible-believing church in Moore, Oklahoma, And she donated some land just west of our current location where the Moore Police Department is today. Soon afterwards, an army barrack was moved onto our property and the first services were held on April 20th, 1947. And it was then that Moore Bible Church was established under the leadership of Pastor Herbert Lane. Since then, we've gone through two name changes. We went from Moore Bible Church to Suburban Baptist Church in 1967 to Cornerstone Baptist Church in 2014. In these years, our church has had 12 pastors come and go, and now the current pastor is lucky number 13. (laughs) (laughs) Since our beginning there at 124 East Main Street, we've moved properties to our current location, and by God's grace, we were able to build the two buildings that now sit on our property debt-free. In 2014 and 2015, we were able to remodel and refresh our auditorium that you are currently sitting in. We added a baptistry behind me, and and all completely without debt. And right now, we have no debt to the praise and glory of God. Over these 72 years, countless souls have been saved. People have been baptized. Families have been helped. Missionaries have been supported. Songs have been sung. Messages have been preached. Lessons have been taught, decisions have been made, offerings have been given, and lives have been touched, all to the glory of our great and faithful God. Oh, it's good to go back and remember all that God did these past 72 years as a church. I believe this morning it's also good to go back to the very beginning to see how it all began, this idea of church. And so I want to go a little further back. And look and see how this whole idea of church even started. Matthew chapter 16, our text here, gives us the story of how the church began. It was in this passage that we find the word church for the very first time in all of Scripture. Now, for us to look back at the beginning of the church, we need to see, before Jesus really even mentions the word church, he, he talks to his disciples, and, and this is an important conversation. 
In verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He kind of gets his disciples apart and says, All right, now I want to know. Now, let me just say this. Did Je- let me ask this question. Did Jesus already know what men thought about him? The answer is yes, because he knows all things. He's omniscient. But he asked them for a very important reason. And it leads, to, first of all, this morning, if you're taking notes, outline, first of all, I want you to see the proclamation of Peter. Proclamation of Peter. Our Lord knew the answer to his question in verse number 13, but he asked them that he might instruct them by drawing out their answers so that they would hear it from what other people were saying. So verse 14, they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say you're Elias or Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or Jeremiah the prophet or one of the other prophets. John the Baptist, I think a lot of people thought he was uh, maybe a reincarnation of John the Baptist because of the courage that Jesus had. Maybe they thought that uh, he was Elijah resurrected because of the fiery words that he spoke. Uh, Maybe they thought he was like Jeremiah, because he was like the weeping prophet who cared and had compassion for those around him. And that's what other people thought, and that was what the popular opinion was. Well, in verse number 15, he turns it around and says, All right, whom say ye that I am? I want to know what you think about me. You've seen me walk. You've seen me work. You've seen me talk. Based on all of that, who am I to you? Of course, that question rings out throughout the ages. To you and to me, whom say ye that I am? And then verse 16, praise the Lord. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This was a great proclamation. I want to share some thoughts about this proclamation, and there, it's important before we get into this concept of the church. First of all, this proclamation was personal. It was personal. Simon Peter answered. It was Simon Peter, the one who decided that I'm going to answer this question for myself and for the group. Now, while Peter was acting as a spokesman for the rest of the disciples, I believe Also, that Peter was speaking for what Peter thought. And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, all of us must each decide what we will do with Jesus Christ. We must all answer Jesus' question, whom say ye that I am? And so, friend, can I ask you that question? The same question that Jesus asked to his disciples It doesn't matter what everyone else outside this room thinks or anyone else in this room thinks. Whom say ye that I am? What personal decision are you going to make about Jesus Christ? Look, no one can make that personal choice for you. You must decide for yourself. I'm thankful for my parents. My parents uh, both were not raised in a Christian home. My dad was raised in a Catholic home and And uh, as he got to be a single adult, he began seeking for the truth and questioning some of the things that he had been taught. And and he came to Christ as a young man, as as he was in, uh, I believe he was in college when he came to Christ. 
And he met my, my mom in college, and they began uh, dating, and, and she became a Christian, and then, and then they were saved individuals uh, and they, as they got married, and, and they raised their young boy, the very good-looking boy, by the way, <laughs> in a Christian home. I had hair back in those days. <laughs> those were the days. So I was raised in a first-generation Christian home. And so as a result, I was taken to church, whether I wanted to go or not. And I'm thankful that that was the case. And uh, service after service, I began to hear the gospel and hear the truth. It wasn't until I was a 12-year-old young man and I was going through uh, a booklet there at the church. And it was, uh, I was part of the Royal Rangers, if you've ever heard of that. It was a program for... Uh, basically Christian Boy Scouts, and I was going through this booklet on a Christmas night. And uh, I had completed a lot of the things in this booklet in order to become the next level. So I was a buckaroo trying to become a pioneer. I do kind of look like a buckaroo, don't I? (laughs) Um, I'm in buckaroo territory now, I think, finally. Um, I'm in buckaroo territory and pioneer territory here in Oklahoma. But... uh, I was, a, I was a young man trying to advance to the next level. In order to do that, I had to complete, complete this booklet. In this booklet, there was a lot of different things I had to do. I had to uh, memorize John 3, 16, 17, and 18. I had to memorize the 23rd Psalm. I had to read through one of the Gospels, and so I picked the Gospel of Mark because I looked and, and noticed that it was the shortest of all the Gospels. <laughs> I was like, that's the one I'm going to read right there. I wasn't a big fan of reading. And there was other things we had to do. We had to learn how to tie certain knots and, in, in the ropes. And we had to do a lot of different things. And I was working through this booklet on Christmas night back in 1988. I was a 12-year-old young man. And all the, all the gifts were opened and the Christmas dinner had been eaten. And everybody was kind of doing their own thing in their own rooms. And I was there at the dining room table all by myself with this booklet that I was working through. And it came to the point where I had to write the date that I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I remember looking at that, thinking, wow, I've heard about doing this all my life, but I have never actually done that. I have never actually placed my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. And I began to have a debate in my mind, well, I can make that decision right now and right today will look at this and then they'll come to me and I'll be embarrassed because they'll thought I've already done that. But then I, on the other hand, I thought, you know what? This is the most important decision of my entire life. I'm not going to not make this decision just because of that. And so right then and there, I bowed my head and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. It was then I knew that I was on my way to heaven and that Jesus Christ was indeed my Savior and I placed my faith in Him alone. I boldly wrote December 25th, 1988 in that blank. No one ever did talk to me about that. No one did say, hey, I thought you were already a Christian. But I'm glad I made that decision. When was it for you? Now, you may not have a, an exact date, but you, can you remember a time and a place, a season of your life where you placed your faith in Christ? If you can't think of a time, 
May I suggest April 28, 2019, which, by the way, is today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2, the Bible says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not someday in the future. Because behold, thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Come to Christ while you can, while you may. So Peter's proclamation, it was... It was very personal. And look, there's a whole host of us, I believe, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. But friend, that's not enough for you. You have to make that choice for you. Your parents can't make that choice. Your spouse can't make that choice for you. Your friend can't make that choice for you. You must make that choice for yourself. So this proclamation, it was personal. Secondly, this proclamation, it was right. It was right. Verse 16, again, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. Peter got it right. Peter's not used to getting it right. (laughs) Peter got a lot of answers wrong, didn't he? But that day he got it right. Boy, did he get it right. It looked contrary to popular belief in that day. Peter chose not to go with the current of culture and decided for himself that Jesus was the Christ. By the way, when he said, thou art the Christ, that indicated that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one. All the prophecies of the Old Testament have come true in Jesus Christ, that he is the promised Messiah. And when he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, it was indicating that Jesus was not just a mere man, but that he was also God in human flesh. You see, 100% man. 100% God in one being, the being Jesus Christ. John 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus here is God in human flesh. God robed in humanity. You say, that doesn't make sense. I realize that, but it's true. That's where faith comes in. If it made sense to our finite mind, he would cease to be God. But Peter's proclamation was correct. It was right. He finally got an answer right. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it was personal, it was right, and it was thirdly, it was praised. Verse number 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. He said, Congratulations, you did right, Simon. But in his praise of Peter, notice what he calls him here. Simon Barjona. Simon is a reference to the name he had before he met Jesus Christ. Remember, it was Jesus who changed his name to Cephas or Peter, which means a stone. And Barjona, in case you're wondering what that means, that just means son of Jonah. Uh, Evidently, Peter's dad's name was Jonah. And when he said Simon Barjona, it meant Simon, the son of Jonah. That's what that meant. But it was praise. Jesus praises him for getting the answer right. But before Peter could get a big head and think, hey, I'm somebody for getting this right, 
And then I, I, I'm the smartest guy in the room because I got this answer right. Before he could start patting himself on the back, Jesus informs him that his proclamation was fourthly, it was revealed. Again, in verse four, uh, 17 here, Blessed art thou, Simon Berjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Look, you didn't just figure this out because you're some genius. <laughs> it was because the Father had let you know the truth. It was revealed. Look, when someone comes to Jesus Christ, it's not because he's so smart or so amazing or so wonderful. It's because the Father has revealed it unto us. Romans 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. You see, God has showed us, showed me that moment when I came to Christ. It wasn't because I was this, you know, amazing, smart kid. Now, my wife is smarter than me, so she got saved when she was only four. Took me eight more years to come to that decision. But again, it wasn't because my wife is so smart. Now, she is really smart. I mean, after all, she married me. Okay? That's a pretty smart decision. Okay. I'm going to take that joke out of the notes. Because <laughs> now you feel sorry for her. I understand how it goes. You see, the process of salvation isn't just we, all of a sudden, the, we're, we're like, oh, I figured it out. It was because the Lord has revealed it unto us. It's the Lord's work. It's the Lord's working. So we see here the proclamation of Peter, and that's important because that leads us here to the next thought here, and that is the perfect foundation. In verse number 18 here, Jesus here, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said that upon this rock he would build his church. Now what is that rock? Oh, that's a, that's a debate for the ages, isn't it? Uh, what is the rock that Jesus is referring to? Well, this morning I want to share with you three possible options and interpretations and meetings of what Jesus is talking here about this rock that he is going to build his church upon, the, the perfect foundation on which to build the church. Some believe, first of all, that this rock is referring to Peter himself. And as you read it, at first glance, it seems to be that case. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, if you recall, Peter, uh, his name is, means a stone. So people are thinking, well, that must be the one that we're going to build, uh, Jesus is going to build the church upon, upon Peter. Now, however, uh, however, a rock gives the idea of stability, right? of steadiness, firm. And can I ask you this question? Would you really associate Peter with those adjectives at this point? Not really. Not really. Now, I guarantee in the disciples' yearbook, Peter would not have been voted most likely to be Mr. Stability. (laughs) He probably would have been voted to be 
most likely to stick foot in mouth. And uh, he did that on a, on a regular basis. By the way, I do too sometimes. Uh, we're here in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. Look down in just three verses later, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. So he began to explain to them what was going to end up happening uh, to him on the cross of Calvary and that he was going to rise again on the third day. Well, verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So would Peter really be the right interpretation of this because of the fact that we're building on a man who is unstable? Uh, He would later on uh, go on to try to correct Jesus in the upper room as Jesus began to uh, wash the disciples' feet. He came to Peter and Peter said, you shouldn't wash my feet. He began to correct Jesus saying, hey, look, I know better than you. And Jesus had to correct him again, put him in his place. Then he would end up going on to deny the Lord three different times there before Jesus was crucified. Not exactly the rock on which to build a church. So some people who believe that Peter is that rock, that Jesus is building the church upon, I would dare say there's a better possibility. To me, the, the next thought here, here's another one, Peter's confession. Peter's confession. The rock that Jesus was talking about was the proclamation that Peter gave in verse number 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now certainly this would make a little more sense. The truth that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, upon that truth, uh, Jesus would build the church. Certainly a better option than the first. But I want to submit a third option, and that is Christ himself. Christ himself. Now let me explain why I think this is the most likely interpretation of what Jesus is saying here in this passage. And we look at we need to look at the names Jesus is calling Peter here. Now remember when Jesus called uh, Peter Simon? Well, Simon was his original name, and then the Lord changed it over in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 41 says, He first findeth his own brother Simon. He's talking about Andrew. Andrew finds his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. You see, Peter was a stone or a piece of a rock. And, and Charles Spurgeon, in his take on this passage, said that he had, by the revelation of the Father, come to know the Son and to be identified with him. Thus, he was a stone of the one rock. He was a part of the rock. Christ is the rock. And Peter has become one with him, and upon this rock is the church founded. Jesus is the builder, and he and his apostles 
make up the first course of stone in the great temple of his church. Ephesians 2.20 says this, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Over and over again in Scripture, the Lord is referred to as the rock. Psalm, and, and by the way, this has nothing to do with any actor. Okay, The Lord is the rock. Uh, Psalm 8, 8, 18, verse number 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. Psalm 18, verse 31, For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? Psalm 28, verse 1, Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. See, he's the perfect foundation. Uh, Peter would not fit in the he would not fit in that first word, the perfect foundation. He was not perfect. But Christ is. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, Peter was preaching, by the way, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we see the proclamation of Peter, the perfect foundation. And thirdly, with this morning, notice with me the promise of Christ. Verse number 18. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, there's the perfect foundation again, I will build my church. That's the promise. The promise is that Jesus would build the church. Here Jesus is making a promise to the disciples and to the world that he would build his church. Now as we look at this five-word sentence or five-word phrase here, I will build my church, each of these words is important in this promise. And this morning I'd like to zero in on each one of these words for just a moment because each one is important. Let's start with the first word, which happens to be one letter, the word I, <laughs> or the letter I. Jesus said, I will build my church. Who is this? Of course, it is Jesus himself. It was Jesus who says that he would be the one building his church. I'm thankful that he has taken the responsibility to, his, to, to build his church. Now, while all of us have the amazing privilege to be laborers together with him, he still takes the responsibility to build the church. Um, I remember when I was here back in May of 2018, uh, one of the families asked me a question. He's, they said, what, what's your plan for building the church? I said, well, I'm thankful that I don't have to. Because Jesus said that he would do it. Now, I understand what they were saying, and I, and I appreciate the question there and and, uh, and I went to go answer it a little further, because I know that's not what they meant. <laughs> uh, but that really is the truth. Um, I, I hope you're not hoping that I'm going to build this church, because I can't build it. It's not my church. I want to do what I can. I want to be laborers together with God. I want to uh, fulfill my calling and fulfill my role well. I want to be faithful to him, and I want to do what we can to reach out into our community, but I can't build this church. That's his responsibility. Um, and uh, I can't even ask you to do that. 
I can't say, folks, we need to work together to build this church up. Um, I'm sorry, that's actually not our place. It's his place. He promised he would build this. I think uh, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the very first church there, and we looked at this uh, a few weeks ago on Sunday night as we looked at the first church. The Bible says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, it was the Lord that was fulfilling his promise here that he would build his church. So that first word, I will build my church, is significant because Jesus is going to do that. The second word is also important. He said, I will build my church. Notice he did not say, I might build my church. I may build my church if I feel like it. He said, I will build my church. Look, when Jesus says he's going to do something, he always does it. He is a God who keeps his word and his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen and unto the glory of God by us. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, Peter was the one who penned that in, and, uh, and I can't help but think maybe, maybe he was thinking about this particular promise that Jesus would build the church when he penned that. I don't know. But it's certainly a precious promise that he would indeed build the church. It's going to happen, folks. We don't have to try to muster up certain programs and methods and all kinds of things. The Lord is going to take care of it, and he has promised that he would, and that's enough for me. The third word is also significant, and that is the word build. I will build my church. You know, this speaks to the process that building a church is. It's not overnight. Building takes a while. Uh, We got some uh, backyard toys for the children, and uh, I went to put those together the other night, and it took a lot longer than I thought it should for those little toys. (laughs) Uh, Building projects take a while. Building a church is not an overnight, uh, it's not a microwave situation. It takes time. Philippians 1.6, Paul said, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look, he's still working on me, and I'm a building project that's been taking, taken many years, and uh, he's not done yet. He's not done with our church. It's 72 years, and he's still building the church here in Moore, Oklahoma. It's a process and one that takes time. It also speaks of progress, building does. Uh, in our neighborhood, we've been watching several homes being built and driving by on a regular basis you see new things go up uh, driving by you see the uh, the plumbing get installed and then you see the foundation uh, go down and then you see um, and then you see all of a sudden the frames go up and then and then you start to see drywall get put on and and uh, you start to see the progress taking place look it's normal for progress to be seen on a regular basis it should be normal to be seen here at our church as well. We should be progressing. All of us should be growing. All of us should be developing and progressing in our walk with Christ. Growth is a natural byproduct. and We need to keep growing. The fourth word in this promise here, the fourth word, the fourth word says, my. 
I will build my church. That's also vital to understand. And this, of course, means that Jesus Christ is the owner of the church and that it is his church. You see, this church doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to the deacons, by the way. It doesn't belong to the congregation. It belongs to Jesus Christ. It is his church. Why? Because he purchased it. That's why. When you purchase something, it makes you the owner of it. I purchased uh, this little device here, this iPad. That means it's mine. (laughs) That means I can do with it what I please. And, And Jesus Christ purchased this church, and it's his to do what he wants to. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 tells us the price that he paid for this church. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Friends, this this iPad cost mere money. This church cost Jesus Christ his own blood. He paid for it with his life. And it belongs to him. And so we see... It belongs to him. He is the owner. And then the fifth word here in this promise, let's look at the final word. I will build my church. Notice he didn't say that he would build a social club, a business, a nonprofit organization, or a charity. No, he would build his church. Now, this church is a special word. This church in Greek is ekklesia, a called out assembly. And Jesus has called us out Uh, called out people from this world unto himself. This is a special place. Um, I'll talk about another building that was built back in the day. When it was built, this particular structure, for an international exposition in the last century, the structure was called monstrous by the citizens of the city who demanded that it would be torn down as soon as the exposition was over. Yet from the moment its architect first conceived it, he died in it and loyally defended it from those who wished it to destroy it. He knew it was destined for greatness. And today it is one of the architectural wonders of the modern world and stands as the primary landmark of Paris, France. The architect, of course, was Alexandre Gustave Eiffel. His famous tower was built in 1889. Now, the same way we are struck by Jesus' loyalty to another structure, which is the the church, which he entrusted to an unlikely band of disciples. Uh, Yeah, when you are looking at people to entrust this wonderful organization, institution called the church, would you pick the people that he picked? Probably not. But it's a good thing I'm not God and neither are you because the church has been going ever since. And it worked. But he trusted to an unlikely band of disciples whom he defended, prayed for, and prepared to spread the gospel. To outsiders, they must seem like an incapable blunderers. But Jesus, the architect of the church, knows the structure is destined for greatness when he returns. What a promise. Jesus said, I will build my church. Praise the Lord. That is a promise from the Lord that we can to the bank. I will stop there for this morning, but... I would encourage you to come back tonight for the second part of this message as we continue talking about the fact that Jesus would build his church.